Welcome back, students. So great to see you. Hello, welcome back. We're yeah. really excited for one more round, thinking about the life everlasting, reflecting on Dr. Joseph Clare's lecture earlier in the week. This is going to be a great discussion. I'm excited to continue this discussion, think more about this topic. Let's do this together. That's right. Greetings, Theo 102. Welcome to your Friday debate. We are really excited about getting, we're, we're so close to the end of the semester. So we are saving the really good stuff for last. Today we have Dr. Abigail Favalli and Dr. Joseph Clare. And you all remember Dr. Favalli from the very end of the semester last uh, year. And she is the uh, director of the William Penn Honors Program. And she's also a really excellent writer and theological mind. And we're really excited for her. And we also have Dr. Joseph Clare, um, who is a theologian and ethicist and is also a, uh, the Dean of the College of Christian Studies. And uh, welcome Dr. Clare and Dr. Favalli here. And um, Dr. Clare and Dr. Favalli, uh, we're so excited because they're going to be debating a topic that it's, kind of, it's a pretty much a timeless Christian debate, which is, what is the relationship between, I'll, I'll try the, the question, maybe y'all can correct me when, I, um, when you get down to it, but what's the relationship between the spirit and the body or the soul and the body for the Christian? Like, what's, how, what is the Christian self? Um, what does that look like and why does that matter? Mm. And uh, I hope you guys tell me if I... I got that. I mean, I think it's like, it's like, a, it's a serious question for Christians. Like, like, right. You know, it's like, how important is our material world actually? Are we trying to, yes, we know Christians will affirm the resurrection of the body, but like, are we leaving the material world? Like my background, is it all just being left to burn? Are we seeking some other world fundamentally? Is there a hierarchy between the spiritual and the physical? Maybe the physical is important, but it's of a lesser kind of reality. And, and this world is too, is passing away. And so we're going to get two views on that, on that topic. And you students will recognize this as an ongoing theme because Dr. Doak and I talked about this um, last week and we used the theology of the rapture as our starting point for this, but really we're kind of circling this, this question um, and we're going to take a different approach to it today. And uh, Dr. Doak is going to be our timekeeper today. He's got the... It's disappearing into my background. Look at that. What happened? Oh, here it is. As you all remember, there we will have seven minutes to present your position and then five minutes to discuss. And then Dr. Doak and I will ask questions on behalf of the students. So are you ready, debaters? So first up, we're going to have Dr. Claire um, making his argument, which he will tell you about on his pitch for the relationship between the material and the spiritual world. Dr. Claire, seven minutes, go for it. Okay, awesome. So good to be with you guys. I'm grateful for this opportunity as we come to the end of the semester, get to the mega, mega questions at the heart of everything. Um, my, my position uh, in answer to the question, as Dr. Doak put it, how important is the material world for Christians is going to be something like, it is important, 
but it's less important than the spiritual um, realm for Christians. And that's why I'm actually in heaven uh, this morning for the debate. Um, I'm actually looking back on the earthly um, from up here. So I think I have a clearer sense of why the spiritual is, is way more important, but I hope to kind of convince you of that this morning. So I'm going to argue for like a hierarchical view, not that the material world is evil or doesn't matter at all, but that it matters less. The whole drift of the Christian life is about the material world mattering less. It's about mind over matter. It's about spirit over flesh. If you're really into ice cream and are obsessed with ice cream, that's great. Um, I'm all for it. You know, you, I have actually, I have almost every Tillamook flavored ice cream in my freezer right now because I went to the store and bought like $5,000 worth of groceries and I have a huge chest freezer in my garage. <clears throat> and that's important. But it's not as good as being obsessed with things like sacrificial love um, and prayer and worship of God and praise and evangelism and things that attend to the spiritual needs um, and realities that we're a part of. You might be really into physical exercise, and that's totally cool. That's great. But it's not as good as being into the health of your own soul and things like virtue, uh, being a just person. Um, um, being concerned with other people's virtue as well. So how important is the material world for Christians? It's pretty important, but not as important in the spiritual as the spiritual realm. First, we have to get clear on what matter is. So matter by matter, the material world, I mean like creation, the stuff God created. And again, it's part of um, God's good creation. In the begin, beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read that at the very beginning of the semester. So anything that exists, exists because of God's will, and it's good, and it has its, its place. Um, but again, it's, it's lower, a little lower than the spiritual. Why? Because God himself is spirit. So there's like a hierarchy within being and within the world. God is being itself. He shares his being with the world. But there's like striated levels of being that go down from God, who is spirit, all the way down to material reality, like the stuff of our bodies and animals and plants and the world around us. And then down even lower toward the formless chaotic void that we glimpsed there in the beginning of Genesis as well. So the hierarchy between the spiritual and the material or the breath of God and the dust of creation in Genesis 2 is in us. It's in, it's in our own composition as humans, which is made up of being souls and bodies. So I'm not proposing a dualism that says body material is bad or evil um, and soul or spirit is good, but that they're, the, the body and the material world is like a partner. It's a subordinate to the soul. So the hierarchy. So how do I know? How can I prove this to you? I would say um, something like this human beings, the, the true part of us is our immaterial soul. The body, again, it's a partner to our soul, but the true us is our soul um, because our body's going to die. It's going to decay and our soul lives on in a certain sense. And, and one way to think about this is think about um, the difference between animals and humans. I'm very happy killing and eating animals. Uh, I do it quite a bit as a fisherman, a hunter, and a farmer. But I won't kill and eat human beings. Um, and the reason for that is, is not the composition of the bodily material. I guess human flesh and animal flesh is not all that different, depending on what kind of animals you're talking about. 
but it's because of the association of the human body with the human soul, which is made in the image of God. It's a rational soul. It's different. It's that association um, that distinguishes us. Also, I think there's a hierarchy of value in the world. Um, so as I said before, like external goods, like meat and potatoes and baseball and bubble gum are great, but they're not as good as things like justice. They're not as good as things like generosity. Those are immaterial things. They're excellences of the soul. So I would choose justice over health. I would choose being Martin Luther King Jr., uh, being just and living for justice and being shot than I would being a greedy, selfish, miserly person who's totally healthy and fit and goes to Planet Fitness every day. So material goods are good, but virtues are better. And virtues have to do with the immaterial soul. Um, why does this matter for our experience as Christians? Well, it matters because the whole drift of the Christian life is about a journey of pilgrimage from earth to heaven. That's the whole point. That's the thing. We're down here and it's good, but we're headed to a better country. We live in the shadowlands. We get glimpses of beauty and goodness and, and truth, but we're not there. The source of those things is in God, in the spiritual realm. And we ought to have a kind of holy restlessness down here on earth. We're not home. We're headed toward the spiritual realm. Hebrews 11 says this of the people of faith throughout history. They died without receiving the promises but they saw them from a distance and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they had left behind on earth, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. That echoes what Paul says in Colossians 3. Speaking of the resurrection, Paul says, Paul says, hey, yep, three seconds. Hey, where Christ is, that's where your mind should be. Seek the things that are above, not earthly things. So we have to remember now, especially in the time of great danger and mortality that we're facing with fear and anxiety, that we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid because our hope is a heavenly one. We're strangers and pilgrims and foreigners on earth. We desire a better country. But we ought to set our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Thank you. Oh, right at the seven-minute mark. Amazing. Hey. Dr. Favale, seven minutes. The floor is yours. All right, let's do this. So I will thank you, Joseph. That was great. I will be arguing in the Christian view that there is not a hierarchy between the material and the spiritual, but both are equally important and they're best understood in terms of union rather than hierarchy. Christianity professors, professes a union between the spiritual and the material rather than a hierarchy of value. So by material, like Joseph, I mean the world of matter. So the physical world and also the realm of the body. And the spiritual refers to the immaterial world as well as the soul. So the supporting evidence for my argument is taken from scripture and not just cherry-picked verses here and there, but the entirety of scripture, the whole arc of salvation history. So I will show that the Christian understandings of creation, fall, redemption, all affirm a union of the body and the soul, the physical and the spiritual. So let's start with creation. Genesis 1, the material world is created directly by God who declares over and over 
in this beautiful refrain at every level that the world is good. Genesis 2, the creation story of Adam gives us a Christian anthropology or a Christian understanding of the human person. Adam is created from the dust, from matter, and is animated by the divine breath. So a human being in the Christian understanding is not just a body and is not primarily a soul, but is a union of the two, a body-soul unity. So the goodness of the material world and the body-soul unity of the human person are all part of God's original design. Now, when the fall happens, both the spiritual and physical dimensions of human nature are involved, and the consequences are both spiritual and physical. So Eve, she's spiritually tempted by the idea of being like God, but she's also physically tempted because the fruit looks super tasty and she wants to eat it. It's pleasing to the eye. Her immaterial will chooses to disobey God, but her act of disobedience is eating. She takes the fruit into her very body. So we see this consistent theme, body and soul. The consequences of the fall are both physical and spiritual. There's separation from God, but there's also increased pain in childbearing and in working the soil. So both body and soul are complicit in the first sin and both body and soul suffer the consequences. Now let's talk about our redemption. So how does God decide to save us? By freeing us from our bodies and the material world entirely so we can go live in this like, disembodied utopian white screen heaven? No, quite the opposite. God becomes a body. He unites himself fully and personally with matter. Through Mary's cooperation, with her cooperation, God creates a body for himself within her body, and he becomes a human being. The word becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. And Christ's nature, his human and divine natures, are fully united in his person. So his divinity does not subsume his humanity. His human nature isn't this like puppet or a mask or a shell, but his humanity and his divinity are distinct but fully mysteriously and united in his very person. And this is what we call the hypostatic union. The physical and the spiritual are also interconnected in Jesus's ministry. In his ministry, he attends to the whole person, the whole human self, body and soul. Over and over, he heals physical deformities and disease. He resurrects the dead and he casts out demons, and he forgives sins. So there's this emphasis on healing the whole self, spiritually and physically. Now let's talk about his death. In Christ's suffering and death, he enters into all human suffering, physical suffering, but emotional agony, social degradation, rejection. He takes all of this on, even unto death. He gives up his body for us. But here's the kicker. This is the part that scandalized the Hellenistic Jews and the Greeks of his time, who saw the body as bad, something to be freed from. Jesus comes back from the dead with his body. Jesus didn't come to save our souls and free us from our bodies. He comes to save us, our entire being. Happy Easter, people. Oh, and the resurrected Jesus, he gets hungry. He eats fish. His body has scars that you could touch. He's not this like ghost body or this apparition, but he's fully embodied, fully divine, fully human, and fully alive. Let's not forget the ascension, which is sort of a weird little episode. You may have wondered, why is that part in the Bible? Well, this is why it matters. Because when the resurrected Christ returns to the Father, guess what? He takes his body with him because he is a body. 
The incarnation and the resurrection have become eternal realities while still being material realities. I wanna say a quick word about sacraments. So for a lot of Christians around the world, sacraments are also a part of our redemption. So physical objects through God's power become channels of divine grace and sanctification. So an example of this would be the water in baptism that cleanses you, even as it physically touches you, it also spiritually cleanses you. Also the bread and the wine in the Eucharist, which become the body and blood of Christ. So through the sacraments, God's grace becomes something we can see, we can touch, we can taste, we can feel. And this grace ministers to the whole human person, body and soul. The material world exists to make visible the invisible. It's our bridge to God and his bridge to us. And it's the bridge that he uses to reveal himself and to unite himself to us in order to save us. And lastly, let's not forget the end times. At the end of all things, there will be a new creation. Will this new creation be merely spiritual, merely immaterial, merely heavenly? No, scripture tells us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we'll have bodies, people. So there you have it, folks. The entire arc of salvation history, the entire arc of scripture affirms the interconnectedness and union of the body and the soul, the spiritual and the material. This is a union that endures, that we are invited to experience. So how important then is the material world for Christians? It is not less important than the spiritual. It's integral to our redemption, both the physical and the spiritual. Um, Okay, that's it. There you go. Oh, good such, work! Such cooperation. We clap for both. Clap for both participants. Uh, now we are inviting you into a five-minute segment wherein you can press each other and respond to each other on pr- the particulars of your argument. Go. Five minutes. Go. Can I start? It was. Is it um, in your view? Would it be better to be a just person or a fit person? So I take issue with your taxonomy there, how you take the, uh, the virtues and make them wholly spiritual. Because what does justice look like enacted, right? It's not this abstract idea, but it's something that we live out. It's something that actually has a bodily component as well. So I would agree with you that it's better to be just, that sacrificial love is better than going to Planet Fitness or whatever. I totally agree with that. But what I disagree with is your characterization of something like doing justice and living out love as a purely spiritual rather than both spiritually spiritual and bodily that makes sense yeah it does make sense but can't you be just even if your bodily and physical life is being completely sapped and wasted away like in the hospital bed isn't you know socrates or mlk like just aren't they just still on the bed even though they can't, their body's completely like, you know, eviscerated or whatever. Yeah, but even a body that's weak and suffering is still a body and it's still alive and it's still that which reveals the person, right? It still is this bridge to another person, to God. It still is the way that that virtue is mediated and made manifest. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you that you don't, that what I'm, what I'm saying is the, is the bodily dimension is not just about like exercise and eating. 
right? But because the spiritual and the bodily are so united um, that there's that there's a union between them, then both things are at work in virtue and both things are at work in, in sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I have a question for you. Um, in, toward the beginning of your speech, you talked about things like what really matters, are sacrificial love, worship, and you had this kind of list of several things. And I'm wondering, why do you not see those things as bodily? Why do you categorize them as spiritual, especially worship? right? Like how, why is worship this sort of spiritual activity and not also a bodily activity? Yeah, I I think it certainly is a bodily activity, but it can be a non-bodily activity as it is for lots of spiritual beings like angels um, throughout scripture and throughout the cosmos. So it's like, I just want to say, yeah, you're right. Body matters, you know, physicality matters but it can also go on without body and without physicality. And that just must highlight for us that it plays a a more significant role within the architecture of God's created world. If something can happen without something else that gives it a kind of, you know, priority in the order of being. So what's the point of the, the incarnation and the resurrection? Well, why, why not just have kind of a stoic view where, when death comes, we're kind of freed from the husks of our bodies and we become united with God in bliss. Mm-hmm. Why, why mess it up with keeping that, that pesky material subordinate partner in there? Yeah, because it's our nature as human beings to be body, soul partners. That's what our created status is in the same way the created status of an elm tree is to be an elm tree. So our redemption had to include the bodily, but that doesn't make the bodily on the same um, equal footing as the spiritual or the soul. So for example, the incarnation, that's great. I love it. The eternal word, the son of God became flesh, but he became flesh and took a body and was born of the Virgin Mary to manifest the divine glory to us in a way that like we could take in, in the incarnation. It wasn't that um, the body took on the eternal word, the son of God to manifest the glory of the body to the eternal spiritual realm or something like that. Like it just messes up the poetry. If you don't have the order of priority, um, the body was important. I don't think it was just like an extrinsic suit or vehicle to manifest the divine glory. I see the, the, the deep innerwovenness, the union there. But again, I just think you can't mess up the order. The hierarchical isn't, order. Isn't that exactly what Christianity does, though? Doesn't it totally mess up that hierarchical order? Because um, you, you framed your argument a lot in terms of ascent, but there's also scriptural language of Christ's descent into our nature and this kind of kenosis, right? So even if I conceded that, okay, Joseph, Plato, I get it. There's this, you know, levels of being, there's this hierarchy, Um, God is spirit, so that means that he's sort of more perfect than the human being who's a creature and who's not fully spirit. But then you have God going down that hierarchy, right? And then becoming a body, which is an eternal reality. So it's not even technically true to say God is only spirit any longer, right? Because in the Trinity now, you also have the incarnate Christ. So doesn't Christianity play with and mess with that kind of neat platonic hierarchy. 
Yeah, but only if you keep the hierarchy because the descent is about the grace of bringing something lower up into the divine life. It's a great question though. Five minutes are up. We may, I mean, it might even be helpful here as, as a, just a kind of a background question to start the q and I mean, you've already, both of you have mentioned the idea of Plato and a certain kind of philosophy. I don't think most of our students will actually know what that is. Do you want to maybe explain who Plato is? Just like Plato, like 101, like, and why, why that terminology is even being used here? Dr. Favalli should do it. She has a picture of him behind her. Oh, yeah, there's a picture of me um, with Plato and Aristotle there. And you can see, like, Plato, Plato has his finger, like he's spinning an invisible basketball. Um, but he's pointing <laughs> upward. He's pointing upward to the forms and to the heavens. And Aristotle next to him is going like this, like he's bouncing a basketball. But what he's actually doing is pointing downward to this world, right? And so um, both Dr. Claire and I are talking about Plato because his philosophy is very much built on this idea of a hierarchy of being, much as Dr. Claire describes, um, where you have the one, you have God, who's the absolute, the most perfect, the most good. And then every other level of what exists is a certain kind of distance from that perfect goodness. And so it creates this sort of hierarchy of being. And especially for Plato, he sees the material world as imperfect, even illusory, even kind of deceptive. It's something that we sort of have to see beyond and ascend beyond through our rational intellect in order to apprehend God. Right. That's a good clarification. So we're, we're thinking about spiritual concepts in the Christian tradition, but these have also been important philosophical issues that people have debated, even from, let's say, with Plato in ancient Greece in the fourth century and so on. So, okay. Okay, Dr. Payne, we got to represent the yeah. students here. Yeah, okay, so I have, I have one question that I'm gonna save for the end of our conversation here, but um, I, I think one question that I have, so both of you said that the physical world is important in some way, but I can imagine some of our students just thinking like, why? Like, what if I don't like my physical body? What if I don't like, you know the, the physical world that I'm in. So I, I think the question to both of you is, even if you disagree as to, or you're representing different different um, ideas about Christian understandings of the physical world, both of you say that Christians appreciate the body. Why? Why should we appreciate it? Because of everything I said. <laughs> um, because God, God loves it right? Um, God united our nature to his, right, to make himself known. So there's a dignity to the body that is very integral to Christianity. It's very much at the heart of Christianity. Um, and I, don't know, I lost my train of thought. I'll turn it over to Joseph to elaborate. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that's important. I would never argue for the idea that the material world is not important or that the spirit or that the body is not important. I think that early Christians, we talked about that in church history weeks, there was a heresy called Manichaeanism and one called Gnosticism. And in different ways, they said the material world is the problem that is associated with evil. The spiritual life is about, just as Dr. Favalli said, like a flight away from the body. And so death is actually this great escape. Christianity has never been able to countenance that for that simple uh, reason that Christians believe God created everything and called it good, including the material world, including our own bodies. That's not to say, though, that the body um, is not the site 
of this kind of war we experience between the spirit and the flesh. And so I think what Dr. Favalli said about like the way we experience the body in the material world after sin, after the fall, um, is is different than we probably experienced it before in the garden and hopefully we'll experience it in the resurrection um, of the body. But that is, Paul says the, that our trouble in this world is with the flesh. And by that, I think he doesn't just mean the body. He means this like broken, twisted will of sin. But I also think a lot of my spiritual life and experience has to do with me feeling like my body really wants to eat that right now, or my really want to like the way I experience temptation or struggle is through this, um, this, this body that I have. And so finding ways as Christians to understand that our struggle with the flesh is an inner and an outer struggle. And that sometimes that struggle can even be, um, yeah, about our identity or our acceptance of our body or our limitations in the world. And uh, part of that just has to do with learning to accept and to love and to welcome our bodiliness as creatures made in God's image, which is not always a pleasant or easy experience. Yeah, I know. So last week um, I lectured on the resurrection of the body and some of the questions that we got from students were, were around this idea of what does it mean to believe in the resurrection in the importance of the body if I don't like my body? Yeah, or if, let's say, yeah, or if, uh, you know, there are all kinds of, of different, you know, abilities that our bodies have. Like, I wish that, you know, I weighed a different weight, or I wish I could run faster. Are we, are we supposed to think that in the resurrection, I'm just kind of like supposed to get like some Oprah Winfrey kind of like acceptance of myself and then that'll be the spiritual understanding? Or do I just get like a better body, like a better self, up to self that's not even this self, some other better self? Students, just so you know, back in the olden days, Oprah Winfrey had a talk show that everybody watched. Right. <laughs> Very much about empowerment and yeah, yeah. And stuff totally. Like so. Totally. Yeah, I thought, I thought, Brian, I thought you were going to say, or Dr. Doak, I thought you were going to say like how she used to say, you get a body, you get a body. You get a body. Yeah, yeah. But then I was like, I can't explain that to the students. Anyway, keep going, keep going. No. Um, I, what about, uh, let me flip this question back to Dr. Favale. Um, you, made a, you made a strong case at the beginning that when God creates the physical world, it's created good. And we made a pretty big hard pitch for that in the course back even back in the fall when we were lecturing on this. But it was kind of like a tough one to swallow. It went down like a rat sandwich with some people. And I want to represent those people a little bit by pressing you on that. Didn't, didn't the fall that you appropriately mentioned, didn't that ruin the goodness of God's creation? Haven't we ruined the goodness of creation? Creation was perfect, but it got spoiled. And now that it's spoiled, we need something actually better than creation. Was God's command, uh, was God's um, proclamation that the world was created good, is, has that been nullified by people? Hasn't it been nullified by us in our sin? Um, no, I would, I would not say that. I think that there's been sort of a distortion or perhaps... Um, a twisting of some of the goodness of creation and and our bodies um but that original goodness i think still persists um certainly in terms of the inherent dignity and value of the human being and i do think that it's very it's very important that we have a christian concept of the human being which includes both the body and the soul um, so i think there are always going to be tendencies to either pull in one direction or the other i think maybe 
our more secular culture tends to emphasize the realm of the body too much at the expense of the spiritual, um, but also in a way that weirdly objectifies and depersonalizes the body. So the body becomes this like this object that you have to sort of form into this perfect thing that then represents you, right? And I think that can be at the root of a lot of self-loathing that Dr. Payne was talking about. And so I actually think that a corrective to that is not necessarily, you know, hating one's body or dis dismissing one's body, but actually trying to reframe it in the way that scripture and the Christian tradition tells us to think about our body um, as that which reveals our personhood and also enables us to love. So maybe if there's kind of just turning outward of the body as that that's the way we enact virtue. That's the way that we love people. Um, and that's also the way that we can experience God. Um, even if we're weak and we're suffering, as we all will experience, you know, I mean, all four of us are sort of relatively in our prime, but we didn't start out that way. And we won't, you know, God willing, if we live that long, end up that way, right? So there is this, this physical weakness of the, the body that we all endure but that's also an opportunity to display and to receive love. Um, so I think rethinking and reframing the idea of embodiment is the answer um, and kind of a corrective to a lot of the pathologies we see in our culture, either that want to totally dismiss the body or to kind of idolize it as this, this object. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Dr. Claire. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hardly agree with that. I mean, that takes us into a very, I think, pastoral question for the present. I love the early Christian uh, speculation around what the resurrection body will be like. Some very fascinating stuff from Gregory of Nyssa, Augustine, um, and, and part of it is this question of what will the resurrected body be in relationship to our bodies right now? And there's thoughts of like, it'll be us, but in our um, sort of like primest form. So you're like 33, full head of hair, um, whatever it is. But there's also this beautiful thought that some of the weakness of this life will persist into the next life. So it's not perfection, but it's redemption that we have in our resurrected bodies in which our weakness, our wounds, our sights of God's glory. They're like windows into God's beauty. And you see that with Jesus's own scarred hands inside in, in John chapter 20. And you, you get glimpses of it in the early Christian authors talking about martyrs and others. And I love that idea because I do think Dr. Favalli's right. Part of the cult of the present age is a kind of um, twisted relationship between the soul of the body, where on the one hand, we're like overly into the body and cherishing the, trying to perfect the body with all of our techniques and all of our, um, you know, sort of industry. But on the other hand, we're in a battle with our body thinking my will is not being expressed by my body. I'm not able to do the things I want to do. I'm not able to be the person that I want to be. And to think of that rest, that restoration of that relationship, that being healed in some way, but it's a healing that we can't give to ourselves. It's something that we need in the medicine of the resurrection. And I love, there's one preacher um, who said this, idea that we like to think in this life of those who are normal and have abilities and those who have disabilities and we have these like striated you know sectors of 
of, of class based on these things. And he said in the resurrection, we'll find just this profound sense that we were all with tremendous interior and exterior disabilities. Like we're so far from that sense of wholeness that, that God intends for each one of us. And I don't know, it's a beautiful thought. And I think it frees me from my own, um, you know, perfection, perfectionist anxiety about trying to get my, my body to be something that it can't be. I have a question for you all. Um, I know that we're in a really strange season of, of our lives. None of us have experienced anything like it. Um, wherein we're not really in contact with bodies like we normally are in worship, in Christian worship, or in just our day-to-day -day lives. How do you think that we can um, appreciate or experience like a, a Christian appreciation for the body generally define like our personal bodies, how we interact with other people, Christian worship, even in this time of, of social isolation. Go for it, Dr. Favali. Well, I'm trying to think of something optimistic to say, but I, it's been so hard. It's been so hard. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Catholic and so going to mass, um, it's how I worship and, and Catholic mass is very Eucharistic. It's very bodily. And so being separated from the sacraments um, or watching mass on a screen has been incredibly difficult. And it's highlighted for me, I think the importance of the body, the importance of engaging the body in worship, um, the importance of the physicality of the sacraments, because when that's taken away, it's, there's a, there's an absence there. Um, and I also feel that absence when I'm, you know, speaking with people, I love that we have this technology where I can see your faces, we can hear each other's voices. So there still is this, this sense of virtual physicality, but, uh, I miss being in the same room as my students. I really do. You know, um, there's something very kind of lonely and isolating about this, but I guess the optimistic thing, it would be that this is teaching me in a very real way the importance of the body, the bodies of other people and um, my relation, my physical relationship and worship um, and how vital those are. And that it really is this kind of loss and privation having to fast from those things right now. Yeah, I, I just want to echo that. I think fasting can be a kind of feasting um, where you start to actually recognize the gift of the thing that you're with, you know, withdrawn from or abstaining from. And I mean, maybe that actually speaks to this union or this tension between the spiritual and material. But sometimes when you withdraw, you see the gift of the thing more clearly. And that's certainly how this time is. I mean, when Dr. Fauci said that in the press conference about like, maybe as a culture, we'll never shake hands again, you know, we'll just leave that practice behind. I mean, there should be something kind of startling about that idea that these customs and practices of embrace might be taken away forever. And I think, I mean, there's some harrowing stories coming out of people saying goodbye to loved ones over, you know, phones and tablets and hospital rooms. And again, it's excruciating, but it sort of highlights um, just how important and profound it is to be together. Um, so I, I think on the other side of this, there will be a small incarnation or resurrection where people, I hope, will love um, 
will re-embrace being uh, together in our communities and appreciating those smaller, you know, scales of association that, that make our lives worth living. And um, yeah, so it also, I mean, most of us are around other people for those who are truly isolated, um, a lot of single folk. It's really, I can only imagine how bad it is. And and our hearts need to go out to people and to find ways to connect even through screens. But I think for those of us who are with our families, you're being given a unique opportunity <laughs> to, uh, to love and be connected to those closest to you. And in fact, it might be pressing you to your, your very limits of love in this time. But. Uh, you know, I could, I could take or leave the handshake. You know, if it goes away. <laughs> You know what? I have a prediction. Okay, so in my mind, I like to think of something like good in the future keeps me going, dreams. Um, and I had this thought about like what it would be like when there's a globally available effective vaccine. And I have this picture, you talking about bodies made me think of this. You know that famous picture, students, maybe I'll put a link to it in the comments, of um, a, a sailor kissing a woman uh, on BE Day, Victory in Europe Day, way back in World War II. And they're like strangers, but they're, they're passionately kissing each other. I just thought, I, can't, I wish I were like a good photographer because when we do develop a vaccine, just think, speaking positively, like what a moment of rejoicing that will be and what a bodily moment it will be to be able to hug people and to, you know, anyway, so I, I think it's appropriate that we're talking about bodies in this season of of deprivation. I, I'm such an extroverted person, so this is killing me. My my poor um, spouse, he's, I think I've shared this with students, he's a hospital chaplain, so he's still like with people regularly in really critical moments, and I'm just here on Zoom. <laughs> Dr. Bambali and Dr. Claire, we've run out of time here. We're so grateful for you to come in here though and present these two views. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank and uh, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm left with a lot to think about, and I hope our students are too. Thank you, Dr. Favale, for being our guest here, for coming back and joining us. Dr. Clara, thank you for your lecture this Monday and for joining us again. Thanks for your brilliance. You guys, thank you so much. God bless you, students. Yeah, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.